I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires, land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. Good afternoon from the land of the Seven Council Fires here in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota. It's uh, kind of cloudy today, and but it's supposed to be hot the rest of the week, and we need the moisture, so it'd be fine with me if, if it rained. <laughs> Just no hail, please. Well, I'm continuing the swallow tales and... I had talked about my great-grandfather, Eli Swallow. Now I'd like to uh, let you get acquainted with my grandfather, Oliver Swallow. Now, I, I didn't know him. He was he passed away when I was eight. I do remember coming back to, to Pine Ridge for the funeral, but I know I wasn't allowed to attend it because my folks didn't think that was proper for for a young little girl to attend a funeral. I just think I I really missed out not being able to get to know him because from all that I've learned of him from my older cousins and from Uncle Bud and Aunt Joe and my folks, I I just think he was quite a kind Christian man. Considering what he went through, I think that that was uh, kind of amazing because he didn't have a real easy life to begin with. Uh, Oliver Swallow was born September 11th, 1870, and he was born in the what was uh, called the Whetstone Agency. And you know, in his obituary, it said Whetstone Agency, Corson County, which is up north from us, and I I couldn't couldn't figure out what they meant because I did a lot of research and and looked for Whetstone Agency, and there was no Whetstone Agency at Corson County, South Dakota. So then I got this book. And, and it told about the agencies that were put together where the Indians had to, to go to, get, to receive like their produce and things to, to help them right after the signing of the treaties. And when they created the Pine Ridge Agency down, down in the southwest corner of South Dakota. Well... I know, you know, Eli Swallow, as I said before, was a galvanized soldier and he joined the Union and he was at Fort Laramie. 
it was there he met my great-grandmother, Lizzie Ayotte, who was a rosebud. She was from the Rosebud tribe in South Dakota. So I can only kind of guess that I really have no idea how come they ended up at Pine Ridge. But when I looked up in the history books, the Whetstone Agency was on the Pine Ridge Reservation. It just had that name, Whetstone Agency. So that's where my grandpa was born, and that made a lot more sense than being born way far away at Corson County. Anyway, Eli and Lizzie I- Iot had five children, and their names of their children was John Lewis, Oliver, Millie, Ellis, and Willis. And so my grandpa Oliver was the second oldest, and then later, Lizzie, I don't know what the problem was, but she decided to leave Eli, and she took the... um, younger kids. She took Millie, Alice, and Willis back to Rosebud with her, and they grew up over there at the other Rosebud uh, reservation. And But the two older ones, I think, probably were old enough to make their own decisions, and they stayed at the Oryx area, stayed with their dad, and from what I understand, I I think um, my Grandpa Oliver helped his dad a lot because Eli had a big ranch and he had the mercantile store there at Oryx and the Swallow Hotel, and I imagine he needed good help. But I'm going to go back a little further and because I find this so interesting, and I think you will too, my grandpa Oliver's education. And I have to even go further back to the treaties, the Fort Laramie 1868 treaties. And on the treaties, the articles had different things that they pertained to. And there was the, in Article 7, It was the article about education. And all children between the ages of 6 and 16 who live on the reservation are compelled to attend school. For every 30 students, a teacher and a house are to be provided. Well, I did a lot of research on Article 7 and uh, because I was asked by um, Karen's, which is uh, Center for American Indian Research Studies, to do an art piece. And what I chose to do was um, the one on Article 7 about education. Now, I think that that was very good. You know, I I believe... The kids needed education, and and it helped them prepare for life. But it wasn't all good. It was some real problems with it. And, And one was 
that they were taken away from their parents and often put into boarding schools. You know, when you think about it, how difficult and how scary that was for little kids to go through that. And very often, um, the families, you know, they were nomads, so they had their teepees and they would sit up their teepees close to the school just so that they could uh, see their their kids. And, you know, it, it was quite a transition period. Now, I do know that education is good. I, I also feel there was had to have been very traumatizing for the children. So having a little bit of knowledge about my grandpa Oliver and you know years ago I mean I'm talking over 50 years ago I so I cannot say that I remember who told me this but somebody told me that he was going to be that he went to Carlisle now Carlisle was a school that was set up in in Pennsylvania and they educated a lot of kids. A lot of kids from South Dakota, a lot of um, were sent to Carlisle, and they learned trades. I thought, well, that would be very interesting to get his school records. And I sent to the National Archives, and this was in 1995. I got a letter back from them, and they said that they had done some research and that Eli and Benjamin Swallow were the ones that were enrolled at Carlisle. And uh, those were probably the younger kids, and they had the opportunity to go to Carlisle. So then I was wondering, hmm, where, where did my grandpa go? And I came across the picture which I will share with you sometime on the podcast, probably the next time. And it's a picture of Grandpa in a um, baseball uniform. And he's got his baseball uh, bat. (laughs) I'm not real good at this, but he's got his bat. And he's got a uniform on and a cap, a baseball cap. And, of course, they don't look like they do now. And on the front of his uniform, it says Indians. So he was on the Indian team. And I turned that, you know, back then they had a lot of pictures that were kind of on a postcard sort of thing. And I turned it around, and it said Philadelphia Studio. So then I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to try and inquire there. And so... I I did some inquiring. It it turned out that I got some help from the Pittsburgh or the Philadelphia um, Historical Society, and I that was so exciting for me because you know my folks my my dad never talked about it and like I told you before. My Aunt Jo wasn't into history much, and so when I got this information back, it came from the Historical Society of Pennsylvania, and I got that information in 1995, and it 
They made copies of his school records. What it was, it the the name of the school was called Educational Home, but it was actually a part of the Lincoln Institute. Now, the Lincoln Institute at that time was created by President Lincoln, and it was to help educate the war orphans. Well, they decided that they would also try kind of an experiment to educate Indian children. Now, for those of you that like to be politically correct, this is what it said in the the information I was sent. It was to educate in Indian children, pupils. So my grandpa was sent to Philadelphia when he was 14 years old. And this story, I think, has to be told because it's a family story that was passed down. And I just kind of want you to really think about this, how this was happening. Grandpa said that he was taken down to Rushville. And at Rushville, they had a railroad. And he said there was a lot of little kids and from the reservation. And he was older. He was you know, 13 or so, but these little kids had never been around white society or civilization, so to speak, and, and uh, they had never seen a train. And he said when that train, it was a big old steam engine, and it come billowing in to, to Rushville, and when they saw it, they just screamed, and they were so scared, they just went running off. And he said they scattered like prairie chickens. And I I thought about that, and I did do a piece of artwork. It was quite a big picture, and it, it showed this. And it, what I did was um, the steam engine was coming into the depot, and there was prairie chickens, but their shadows were little kids screaming. And to me, it just was a something I needed to do as an artist was to tell that story. So Grandpa was put on the train at that age, and um, he didn't return for five or six years. For those of you who are following the Swallow Tales, Grandpa Eli Swallow was illiterate. So that makes me think he had no contact with his family for all five years and how lonely it must have been. His brother was there too, though, so I'm sure that helped. His brother's name was John Lewis. And... So it was John Lewis, Grandpa Oliver, and Emily Swallow all attended the Lincoln Institute. On the records I have, um, the admissions committee report for the year was there was 110 boys received 
in into the institute and a number of the children on the roll was 206 and out of that um, amount there was the number of Indian pupils was a hundred. On some of the information that I've got on the Lincoln Institute, you know, it's really interesting to think about what they said in 1887 was a report to the Board of Managers. The managers would like to draw particular attention to the work done by the Indian residents of our home. The boys are taught various trades. All the shoes worn by the pupils are made and mended at, in the institution, and some of the do boys do very fine work. We have a tailor shop, a bakery, a broom factory. During the past year, it will be seen we have 4,170 brooms and whisks. The reputation of the brooms is so excellent, we now supply many of the families and work done reflects great credit on the boys' willingness to learn. The reputation of the brooms is excellent, and we now supply many families, and the work done reflects great credit on the boys' willingness to learn. One thing I thought was really kind of neat was our boys are adept in baseball and have won many games during the holiday season. So no wonder Grandpa Oliver was proud of that uniform. Here's a little report on uh, work done in the institution in 1884, which was the year that, that Grandpa the first year that I got of his records. Pairs of shoes mended, 1,700. 538 barrels of flour consumed, making 120,670 pounds of bread. We have had 6,268 quarts of milk from our dairy. There, they talked about the education, and, and I'm sure that, you know, they were well-educated, you know, at that time. But I also believe that it was a lot of just free labor, too, to have the kids work. It wasn't all for their education. One of the letters says, uh, our accommodations are very much restricted, but we trust before long we shall be enabled to extend. Workshops are being erected in order that they may also be instructed in various trades. Our instructions from the Secretary of Interior are to pay as much, if not more, attention to teaching the Indians industry and trades rather than mere book knowledge. Well, actually, at that time, you know, I would say that that was an extremely well education as far as book knowledge because uh, a lot of 
a lot of people, you know, homesteading or on the reservation didn't get that opportunity. But then it was also very, very hard work. And I can't help but think of my grandpa there and how lonely it must have been and how he must have wanted to go home. It did take him a little while, you know, the records I have say that he's was there 1884, 85, 86, 87, and 88. And then, you know, the family always said he was there five or six years. And so perhaps it took longer. You know, perhaps he worked. I, uh, I don't know. I wished I'd gotten the opportunity to ask him and I wish my dad had been a little more um, talkative. But this is Oliver Swallow's story and and it all kind of plays together in the fact that we have heard uh, that he was an interpreter for uh, for the tribes. And of course, you know, he would be a likely one to be picked. Even though he wasn't full blood, he uh, he was probably close to half. He was acquainted with the uh, society there in Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia and, and wasn't scared of it. He, he was used to it. So I do... You know, we did hear that he was an interpreter for the tribe and that he helped his dad a lot in the store. Uh, he was older when he married. He was 27, and at that time he he married my grandmother, Betty Glisby, and her mom, Sarah, was Sarah Longchin. They had eight children, Grandpa and Grandma, and my dad was the baby of the family. He was born in 1924, and the next Swallowtail, I'm going to be visiting with my cousin Vic Swallow, and he remembers Grandpa. He's 10 years older than me, and he lived around here and he lived at Richard Village at Pine Ridge and um, so he got the benefit of being able to go down and visit and even stay with Grandpa so he knew him more as a person and I think you're going to find that really interesting. I know I did. I'm very happy that he was my Grandpa and I wished I had gotten to know him. I know my Grandma passed away when my dad was about 13 or 14 years old, so I never had the opportunity to get acquainted with her. But I imagine she was a lot like my Aunt Jo, who I loved and stayed with. So anyway, the next Swallow Tale will be a little bit more on Grandpa Oliver when he was uh, a family man and... I think you'll find that interesting, too. When you read about somebody's history and how they grew up, it kind of explains to you maybe why 
they were that kind of a person they uh, became. So thank you for listening, and please tune in again. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background. Please subscribe to it or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend, Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us. Take